0: The scripture reading tonight is from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 through 25. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest. With an oath by the one who said to him, "The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever." This makes Jesus the guaranteer of a better covenant. The former priests were many in their number because they were prevented by death from continuing in their office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. We thank you, God, for your word. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason. Pastor here at Grace Downtown, we're so glad that you have chosen to be here when you could be outside playing spike ball or ultimate frisbee or just going for a walk. So thank you so much for being here on this beautiful day. We're continuing in our series through the book of Hebrews. We are covering chapter 7 um, here tonight. Uh, we're going to kind of cover it in some themes as we it's a lot of verses but it all kind of has a flow and a theme to it so we're going to stick to the themes here in hebrews chapter 7 so if you want to go ahead and open up there if you haven't already to hebrews chapter 7 we are studying this series where we are learning that jesus is better Jesus is better than man-made systems. Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. Jesus is better than you and I's feeble attempts to save ourselves. And tonight we are going to see that Jesus is better because he is eternal. Do I need the clicker thing or do you want to advance the things? You can do it. Awesome. Thank you. In our life, we're seeking something that lasts whether we're making a purchase or entering into a relationship or we're experiencing something we enjoy, we are seeking something that will last. But as we seek something that will last, all we find are things that are temporary. Because so much of life is temporary to some degree or another. In high school, I had a girlfriend. One, singular, a... I had a girlfriend, and um, we uh, had a lot in common. We were both athletes. We both laughed at the same movies. She thought I was funny for some reason. Um, we had a great time together. And for a little while there, I thought, man, this, this may really last. Part of it was because it was my first and only girlfriend of high school, but part of it is because we hit it off so well, and we never had conflict, and we just had a great time together. I thought we would be together forever. And we were together for 10 weeks. She broke up with me because Jesus told her not to date anyone. And three weeks later, she was dating some Catholic dude from Kansas. (laughs) We just traveled back to my hometown, Kansas City, for uh, First Cousin's wedding this weekend. And as I drove back through, we, went, we because of where we stayed and where we went and the family we saw, we traveled a big chunk of the, the metroplex there in Kansas City. And as I drove through there, I was thinking about the sermon, obviously, and I was just thinking about things that don't last, and I was reminiscing about all the things that have changed in the community that I'm from. At one point, we uh, had something called a Hypermart, It was like a Walmart on steroids and it was like the first one in the Midwest and it had video screens on your cart and you could type in what you were looking for and it would tell you what aisle it was in. There was free balloons and cookies for children. It was gigantic. It was the biggest store I've ever been in before and people came from all over the Midwest to come. And to go to this. And as my wife and I were talking, by the time she moved to Kansas City, it was closed. And we got to figuring, and it lasted less than 15 years. And now it's a high rise. There's outlet malls that are now completely abandoned. There's communities that have completely changed the makeup of what they're like. Nice new shopping centers that were built 20 years ago when we lived there are now basically abandoned. We're looking for something that lasts, but what we find is that most everything is temporary. Last week we learned that Jesus is the perfect high priestly king and that he is the sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Tonight we're going to learn a little bit more about why that is. Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 6 and we'll read the last verse of Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews 6:20 it says Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek, Melchizedek, however you'd like to pronounce it, is the entire theme of Hebrews chapter 7. But as we turn from Hebrews 6 to Hebrews 7, we see that Jesus has gone as a forerunner. And he is in this order of this Mechizedek. So we're going to learn a little bit more about him tonight. And as we do, we're going to see that Jesus is eternal. And because he is eternal, it makes all the difference for our everyday life. Would you pray with me and for me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak through your word. Thank you that you are speaking to us constantly through creation, through scripture, through your Holy Spirit, through your people, and we submit our minds and our hearts and our ears and our hands and our feet to you right now. And we look forward to hearing you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. In Hebrews 6.20, and we'll see again as we enter into chapter 7, we are going to see the author of Hebrews continue to make this lesser and greater than argument. In just about every section of Hebrews, we see this argument where the author of Hebrews is saying, this is what the Old Testament had. This is how God related to his people at one time. But now, Jesus, he's the great high priest, the better tabernacle. He's in the order of this Melchizedek guy we see that there's this greater than and less than argument, and that's going to continue as we talk about this obscure guy from the Old Testament. Here, the author of Hebrews spends an entire chapter on this guy, and the Old Testament spends three verses on this guy. So we know very little about him, and so we need to learn more about him if we are going to understand that Jesus is a greater and better Melchizedek. So verses 1 through 4 tell us a little bit about him and introduce him to us uh, in Hebrews 7. His name means king of righteousness. King of righteousness. He was a king and a priest from a place called Salem. Some believe that this may have been another Hebrew word for Jerusalem. Salem means peace. So he, he was a king of righteousness from a place called peace. Another interesting thing about him is that he has no genealogy. Every other priest or king in the Old Testament, there is a genealogy, and not only that, but their genealogy was their qualification. They had to be born into a priestly family or be born into a kingly family in order to reach their status as priest or king. Melchizedek is also interesting because he served as both a priest and a king which is unique for the Old Testament. He is really unlike any other person or he had a role like no other role in the Old Testament. And this is a foreshadowing of Christ as we'll see as we continue on through here. If we look at Genesis 14, we see that basically what took place was this Melchizedek was a priest and a king and he was in the time of Abraham. And Abraham brought a tithe to him, and he came to reconfirm the covenant that God had made with Abram, who would become Abraham. So God guaranteed or reiterated his covenant to Abraham and his people through this king and this priest. As we continue on through Hebrews chapter 7, in verses 11 through 14, we learn about the inadequacy of not only this man from the Old Testament, but about the priestly system and also the kings of the Old Testament. Look with me at Hebrews 7, starting in verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord that descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe Moses said nothing about priests. Let me break down what is being said here. There were three kind of orders of priesthood in the old Testament, going from lesser to greater. And first we start with the typical Old Testament priest that we see predominantly until the time of Jesus. And then there's this Melchizedek. And then Hebrews is telling us here the greatest of all is Jesus. That's what the author is laying out for us here. The author also wants to drive home to us in the whole book of Hebrews, but specifically here in these verses, the temporal nature of the Old Testament the old covenant and of the priesthood. The first priesthood and Melchizedek were temporary. Think about this. It's important for us to think about the things in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus even says in Matthew 5:17, "He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to, to fill, fill every part of it." So it's important for us to think about the Old Testament as being temporal. Think about the difference between a tent and a house. We try to go camping every summer and we sleep in a tent. And it's fun for a night or two. But it's also, it's temporary. You set it up knowing that you're going to pick it up and you're going to move it. You're you're not looking to be permanent when you set it up. So you want it to withstand a few nights. You want it to keep the rain off of you and the animals out of your food. And you want a little bit of shelter, but it's temporary. When you go about building a house... You do so in a much more permanent way. That's a great way to think about the Old Testament versus the New, or the Old Covenant versus the New, or the Old Priesthood versus Jesus' priesthood. The Old Testament was temporal. Another thing that we learn in the book of Hebrews that's appropriate here is that it was built with God's instructions, but it was built by men, it was built by mankind who is temporary, who is flawed, who is outright sinful. And so whether it's Abraham, Melchizedek, any king or priest from the Old Testament, we're talking about men that God had chosen, but they were sinful. So the first priesthood was marred by its temporal nature, the sinful nature of the men who enacted it. And then we learn here that it was reliant on the sacrifice of an animal. An animal was sacrificed, as we talked about last week in the covenant between God and Abraham. An animal was sacrificed to take the punishment for the people's sins. Without that shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. And so the Old Testament system was built off of also an animal sacrifice. So these verses lay out for us what was the temporary nature of this first priesthood. It's going to be important as we turn and start talking about Jesus here in the coming verses. In Hebrews chapter 7 verses 15 through 22 and 26 through 28, we read that a better hope is introduced. A better hope is introduced. Have you ever set up a tent and gotten camping and there was a torrential downpour and pretty soon you were no longer inside? (laughs) Or the outside was inside, however you want to look at it. It's a terrible feeling to wake up in water. It's not a great feeling. I've been in uh, camping out in South Dakota where they have no trees and if a a steady wind of 10 miles an hour comes up, your, your tent is now flat. It's a scary feeling to be in a tent and to have the elements start coming in. It's because it's temporary. A better hope needs to be introduced if you're going to sustain the elements that are coming. Here we are told that a better hope is introduced. That that Old Testament was a way that God communicated his love, his grace, his law to mankind. So it served a purpose. It was actually an act of grace and mercy that God would communicate with his people in that way. But there was a flaw. It was enacted by men. It was temporary. And we see time and time again that mankind kept messing it up. Priests doing what they shouldn't do. Kings not following the guidance of their God. Men and women going their own way instead of following God's way. And so here in Hebrews chapter 7, we read that a better hope is introduced. The temple system lasted through the Old Testament instituted in the Old Testament, and the temple was somewhere that they went and worshipped all the way up until 70 A.D. when the temple was literally burnt down by the Roman Empire. It literally came down because it was temporary. It, can be to- it could be torn down by a king or the Roman Empire that wanted it to come down. So they literally burnt down the temple in 70 A.D., that's because the temple and the priestly system was built on an incomplete foundation. A better hope had to be introduced. Look with me at Hebrews 7, verse 16. Start in verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning concerning bodily descent but by the power of an indestructible life. The author here is saying that Jesus is the better hope that was introduced because his priesthood, his kingship was not based on his descent from the right family. His priesthood, his kingly nature, was not built on a temporary human genealogy. No, his qualifications were built on, the hope was built on, the power of an indestructible life. We just read here in our scripture reading that those priests they had to m- keep making sacrifices year after year and then someone would have to replace them because they died. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant and Jesus is a better hope introduced because Jesus's qualifications are his indestructible life. The grave could not hold him. Though the wrath of the Father was poured out on him, he rose again. Jesus is the one who is indestructible. You and I are not indestructible. The things we put our hope in are not indestructible. But Jesus introduces a better hope. Hebrews 9 verses 11 through 12 puts it this way, but when Jesus, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Even through the greater things and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus gave his own blood. Jesus gave his own indestructible life. And Jesus made a promise based on who he is. Not on what we could accomplish. So in direct contrast to the first priesthood, Jesus is eternal. He doesn't get replaced year after year, as the priesthood. Jesus is sinless. And instead of an animal sacrifice, Jesus sacrificed himself. And next week, we'll learn in Hebrews 8, 6 that the new covenant is built on better promises. And last week, we learned that God, when he made an oath, swore on himself. Jesus comes as this better hope, and Jesus comes as this guarantee of a better covenant because Jesus gives his very life. He doesn't just make a promise with his words. He seals the promise with his very life. And while Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness, and when he comes from a place called peace, Jesus is our righteousness and peace. He accomplished it by what he did, by the sacrifice that he made. So what are the effects of this better guarantee? We see in verses 23 through 25, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What are the effects of this? We are brought near to God. We can know our God. We have a hope that has entered the most holy place We have that anchor within the veil that we learned about and sang about last week. And now we have Jesus making intercession always, interceding for you and me before the throne of God, before our heavenly father, our creator. Jesus' eternal nature, his perfect sacrifice, and his enduring kingship gives us all the grace we need all the time. The eternal nature of His grace, of His mercy, of His power, of His priesthood, of His kingship means that His grace and His mercy and His power and His provision just keep coming in like the waves of the ocean. They just keep coming in one right after another, and that's really good news. Because our sin, our temptation, our weakness, our suffering feels the same way. It feels like it just keeps coming in. Sometimes that's how my anxiety feels. New anxieties just keep coming. As soon as I get one behind me, the next one rolls in. Just like the tide of the ocean. One right after another. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes it's our temptation. Sometimes it's the things we have suffered. Sometimes it's some kind of besetting sin or weakness or a certain thing that we struggle with that it feels like it just keeps coming. And we go to bed and we say, we're never going to do that again. And then we wake up the next morning to the same temptation, the same struggle We need a better hope introduced to us. We find that in Jesus. Friends, where are you placing your hope right now? And how is it tragically disappointing you? What have you put your hope in? And it just keeps disappointing, but you just keep going back. It may be some Addiction or sin, or it may just be something simple that you keep thinking is going to make you happy and it just doesn't. One more hour of Netflix, one more cup of coffee, one more dessert, one more workout. One more thing, one more test behind me, one more semester behind me, one more hard conversation behind me, and then the anxiety, the worry, the fear, the lust, the temptation, it will be behind me, but it just keeps coming. Where have you put your hope? And it just keeps disappointing. We need to turn to Jesus and see that he is our only peace and he is our only righteousness and he is our only hope for what we want and what we need in this life and in the life to come. The Jews that were reading the book of Hebrews were coming face-to-face with the reality that they had built their entire lives... They had built their spiritual lives. They had built their cultural lives all around something that was temporary. And much of the New Testament is asking the Jewish people to consider that now a better hope has been introduced. And that better hope is found in Jesus. And since Pentecost, those who are in Christ now have the spirit of the living God inside of them. So we have every opportunity and more than they had to experience the hope and the peace and the joy and the good news of the gospel. And we have been given everything we need for life and godliness, yet we keep turning to the things of this world and finding that we're surprised when we're not satisfied. We are made for something and someone eternal, yet we keep looking for these little moments of pleasure in the things of this earth. So in light of what we've looked at here tonight, what are the implications of this text? The first one is don't try and save yourself. Don't try and save yourself. Don't think that you can do more righteous deeds than sinful actions. Don't think that your religious checklist is going to save you or your genealogy or because you grew up in the right family or went to the right church or go to the right church now or you've put a certain sin behind you. Don't try and save yourself. Don't think that righteousness is built on your temporary actions or your temporary towing the line. Our righteousness is found in Christ alone. Only he can save you. Sometimes we wallow in our own guilt and shame instead of just turning to the cross and letting him do the work. And remembering that he said, it's finished. The work is actually already done. On the other hand, sometimes we walk in our pride thinking that, well, I've got it together or I'm better than I used to be. Instead of seeing that even our most righteous acts are tainted in what is temporary and of the flesh and sinful. Only Jesus and his finished work on the cross will save you, will save me, will save your kids, will save the people of this world. We need the good news of the gospel. And we need to remember that it's good news and we need to remember that it is foundational and it is essential and it is powerful for us today just as the day we were saved. If you have been attending church or community group or or been around Christianity for a little while or maybe your whole life, but you're not sure by whose merit you are saved or you think maybe it is your merit by which you are saved, I want to ask you to consider that only Christ can save you and give your life to him and stop trying Those sins and those temptations keep coming like those tides of the ocean. You need the grace and the mercy of your heavenly father, won on the cross by Jesus. You need that credited to you so the waves and the tides of his grace and mercy can come in to your life. The second thing that the author of Hebrews is trying to get across to us and he got this across loud and clear in the first part of chapter 6 is don't try and save others. Don't try and save others. It's not your job to save others. Your job is to share the good news. So whether it's your friend, your roommate, your coworker, your kid, someone on the ped mall, a relative that you have, Share the good news and sow seeds of the gospel like crazy and then remember that Jesus saves them. Don't try and save others. It's not by your works. You you can't save them. It's only Christ that can save them. And the author of Hebrews keeps going back to this idea of where salvation really comes from. And it's important for us as we will talk more and more this year than we have ever talked before at Grace Community Church about sharing the good news with others. Um, We are going to have an evangelistic series this fall where we will ask people to encounter Jesus. We want to equip you to be a blessing to those in our community and share your faith in multiple kinds of ways. And as we do, we have to remember that we are to just be obedient and share the good news and leave the results to the only one that can save. And that's Jesus. Third, we need to prioritize correctly that which is not eternal. Prioritize correctly that which is not eternal. 2020 and into 2021 now has taught us a lot of lessons, but one that I'm really thankful for, but was a very hard lesson to learn, probably relearn because I've learned this over and over again in life. But I think that I learned a lot about joy and happiness where joy and happiness really come from. And I learned that over this time of pandemic and everything being different because a lot of things that I call joy, it turns out that they were just happiness. Because joy comes from the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God working in your life. Joy is a result of remembering the good news of the gospel. Come to find out, joy is not found in going to a coffee shop. Who knew? Or going out to eat with my wife. Or getting to worship like normal with the church. All those things are wonderful gifts of God, but they ultimately don't bring joy. They bring happiness and God can use them to bring more joy into our life. But when those things were taken away and I had a lack of joy, I realized that my joy was not coming from Jesus. When we prioritize correctly, Anything that is not eternal, basically anything that is outside of our relationship with Jesus, when we prioritize it correctly, then we can start experiencing more happiness. Isn't that amazing? So I've seen this taking place over the course of the last 12, 13 months in my life as I've been focusing more on where joy really comes from and trying to find more and more joy and satisfaction in my relationship with God, though unperfectious, perfectly I've certainly done it not in a perfect way and my joy has been up and down like crazy but as I've found more and more joy the only place that can be found I have also found those other things make me more happy because no longer does that cup of coffee have to bring me joy I've found my joy in Christ and that cup of coffee is just a bonus praise Jesus you know when we prioritize that which is not eternal, all of a sudden we then have that joy that comes from what is eternal and then the things of this world are in their proper place and we can actually truly enjoy them. And it can be something that actually leads us to more joy. Something that we need to reflect on as we look at this idea in Hebrews 7 of what is eternal and what is temporary. Lastly, we need to find hope in the gospel. I asked earlier, where do you need to find hope? I asked it in a negative sense before, where are you looking to hope and it just keeps disappointing? I want to ask you today, where do you need hope? And what do you need to take to Jesus? And find your hope in him. I can't tell you how your job or your career or your education or the relationships that you are in right now are going to turn out. That's not where hope is found to begin with. Our hope is found in what Christ has done. We have now been introduced to a better hope. Where do you need hope right now? And how is Jesus the answer? You know what the answer is for me a lot of times? How Jesus is the answer for me? It's me knowing that no matter how the situations and the circumstances work out, Jesus is going to be with me, no matter what. Because he is holding me fast. He is holding on to me. I love that song so much. I'm so glad that Caitlin picked it. We sing it to our kids sometimes at night, and I just love it because it is not based on my ability to hold on to Jesus I spent way too much of my life thinking that it was my ability to hold on to Jesus that determined everything. That's that's a bad story. That does not lead to joy. That does not remind us that the gospel is good news because it relies on us. If your hope is in you and you figuring it out and you getting your act together and you putting all the pieces together to experience more of Jesus this year, your hope is in the wrong place. But if our hope is in Christ and remembering that He is holding on to us, then we can have hope. No matter how the circumstances go or how the relationship ends up or where the career does or does not go or where the education ends up, it's Jesus holding on to us. And he is the guarantor of a better covenant. He is a better hope introduced. And he and his qualifications for priesthood are in his indestructible life. And if the grave couldn't hold him, there are no circumstances in your life and no sin that you could commit that could keep you from his love. That's where we can find hope and joy tonight. The band is going to come back up here and lead us in a a song where we can reflect on what Christ has done and how he is ours because of what he has done for us. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, we ask you would remind us where our hope is. God, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that is not ultimately come to a point where they realize that you are the only one that can save, that tonight would be the night. That they would recognize their need for you and trust you for their salvation and their hope. I pray that each one of us would remember where our joy comes from tonight. We worship you, Jesus.